Hey, hey, it's Selden. And it's Tommy. Welcome to Book Yana. And today we'll be discussing how different authors drive their characters to a goal. By the way, to anyone that's never read The Call of the Wild, Hidden Figures, The Secret Life of Bees, The Odyssey, Missing May, or Lord of the Flies should stop listening immediately because there's going to be major spoilers. So this is your official spoiler warning. Hey, Dommy. Hey, Selden. I was just thinking about how Curly's death in Call of the Wild drives Buck to hate and kill Spitz and make sure that her fate never happens to him. For the listeners that don't know, Buck sees his friend Curly try and go talk to a husky in a friendly manner but she was immediately killed. He starts to hate Spitz for being amused at Curly's death, and this drives him to work harder so he can kill and overturn Spitz and make sure that Curly's fate never, never happens to him. By the way, these characters are dogs, not people. A direct quote from the book is, There was no warning, only a leap in a flash, a metallic clip of teeth, a leap out equally swift, and Curly's face was ripped open from eye to jaw. Buck hated him, meaning Spitz, with a bitter and deathless hatred, end quote, for laughing at the death of Curly. Yeah. Because of the brutal nature of Curly's death, Buck would see to it that he never went down, as in dying. An example of how much Buck hated Spitz was when Buck got in a race with Spitz to hunt down a bunny. He did this because he wanted the satisfaction of beating Spitz at something, even though he didn't hunt down the bunny Spitz did. That's a good example. I know, Dommy. So, Dommy, do you have any examples? An example of how much Buck hated Spitz was when he mimicked Curly's death by slashing Spitz's face open during their final battle and causing Spitz to feel the pain that he vowed that he would never feel himself. Hey, Selden, want to tell me about what you're talking about with the characters and hidden figures? Yeah, Mary, Catherine, and Christine's determination to prove themselves as mathematicians and engineers, and also that African-American women can be just as valuable as white men, drove him to work harder in the workplace. Wow, Selden, that's really interesting. Tell me more. Of course. One of my favorite quotes from the book that represents that idea is from Catherine. As far as I am concerned at the office, male or female, black or white, we are all the same. Nice quote, Selden. As I was looking through the book, I found one that I like too. It says, their dark skin, their gender, their economic status, None of those were acceptable excuses for not giving the fullest reign to their imaginations and ambitions, end quote. Wow, good find. What's another example of these girls standing up for their rights that isn't a quote? Well, it's a good question, Dommy. Catherine is, um, wanted to go to one of the meetings that only the male engineers attended, and when she asked, they said no, but they didn't have a good reason why, except for that she was a female. So Catherine fought and fought, not physically, but with her words, until she was able to attend the meeting. Great example, Selden, but I think it's time we move on to another book. Wow, thanks, Dommy. 
Hey guys, it's Dami. Selma have decided to change our podcast from a more proper way to more casual to make the viewers at home feel really comfortable and give a more enjoyable experience. Selden has never read the Odyssey, but because it has such good points for this topic, we decided that we we're going to talk about it anyway. A main driving point in the Odyssey is Odysseus's love for Penelope. Um, a quote to show that is, By night he would lie beside her, of necessity, in the hollow caverns, against his will. By one who is willing, but all the days he would sit upon the rocks at the seaside, breaking his heart in tears and lamentation and sorrow as weeping tears, he looked out over the barren water, end quote. When I was reading Spark Notes to try to catch up on what you know about the book, I realized that that was the main driving point, Odysseus's love for Penelope. I feel like the connection between them is very strong, and it just creates the book to be a book. Sullivan, why don't you read my notes about the Odyssey? The Spark Notes were better. Oops, hashtag not sponsored. Stop. Ow. Stop bullying. No. So, Dami, do you have any, like, real book examples of that? Yeah. And an example of this is when Odysseus leaves the goddess and enchantress Circe to find Penelope, even though she has a wonderful island and she loves him very much and she's really pretty. Odysseus is still like, nah, I love Penelope more. Oops. So why doesn't Penelope love Odysseus? Well, Penelope does love Odysseus. She held out for, actually, I think a few years while he was away fighting in the Trojan War. She held out against all the suitors that were trying to court her. She was like, you can marry me when I'm done sewing my wedding dress. But she was really smart about it. So every night, she would undo, she would undo what she did that day of her wedding dress. And so I think it's been a few years since she started it. And she was like, I'm not done with my wedding dress yet. And then all the suitors got really mad, but then Odysseus came back and killed all of them and reclaimed Penelope, and they lived happily so ever really, after. So really, she only loved Odysseus. Yeah. Odysseus loved Penelope. Yeah. So, so they're both driven towards each other. Yeah. It's so Penelope love. did not love any of the suitors, and Odys and Odysseus only loved Penelope and not Circe and not um any of the other beautiful women or enchantresses he came by. Interesting. So, Dami, how do you feel about this? Do you have any more examples? I do some. Another example is when Penelope was kind of giving up, and she said, Okay, whoever can shoot an arrow through all of these axes gets to marry me, as she thought Odysseus was dead. And none of the suitors could do it, so Odysseus showed up out of the blue and shot the arrow through all the axes, even though he couldn't normally do it without Penelope's love driving him to do something and so, Selden, because your notes and Spark notes are clearly so much better than my notes, do you have any other examples? Because clearly I missed something if Spark notes is that great. No, but I did understand the main theme from Spark notes, which is Odysseus's love for Penelope, and that's his driving point. I don't believe you, but okay. I think we're done with this section <laughs> of Odysseus. Yeah, okay. Bye! Moving on to something I know more about, Dami, let's talk about Lily and how she's driven to find out why her mother left her, and also what drives her to leave her dad and her house. Wait, I've never read that book. It's okay, you'll catch on. Oh. 
So, Sultan, you gave us a quote, but you don't really have any information to back it up. Do you have any examples? Yeah, Dommy, I do have an example. So, basically, Lily, the main character, the girl, decides to run away from home on the account of a little information she found about her mom and where she went when she left her house when she was younger. And she didn't even know if the information was true, but she decided to go with it because she felt such a connection with her mom, but didn't understand anything with her mom. So basically, when she left, her dad threatened her, and her dad's scary. He has like a gun and everything. But Lily was so driven to go find out more about her mom that she left. And I feel like that was a really good example of her drivenness. Is that a word? <laughs> no. Okay, it's okay. Of her being driven. Her being driven. Because if someone's threatening with you a gun, that's kind of scary. But she's so determined. Yeah. Does yeah. that give you a better idea? Yeah. So, basically, this girl, who is 14, I believe, yeah. and a lot smaller than her dad, felt such a strong connection to her mother that she had to go, even though her dad, her dad is big, I assume. Yeah. Like, big and scary, and he had a gun, and he was threatening her, and she blatantly defied him, which takes courage and determination. And strength, like mental strength. Yeah, I agree. So, so moving on to another book. What book should we talk about next? I think we should talk about Missing May. Didn't we both read that? Yeah, we both did. Oh, this will be a good one. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so Obe from Missing May wants to speak with his dead wife, may one last time so he is driven to find a source of communication so like supernatural yeah the source that they found is the spiritualist church but unfortunately reverend young the reverend that could speak supposedly speak with the dead died a few years ago after may died Ob didn't really know what to do with himself he, he was, was kind of like he depressed was, yeah he was which, really emotionally detached yeah. And so Which is normal, he was, died. yeah, but he was like so just not there in reality. And but once, as soon as he finds this source of communication with his dead wife, he immediately perks is, up. yeah, he's perks up. He's all over it. He he loves the idea of seeing his dead wife. His and happiness is back. Yeah, he's 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 almost happy again. He'll be happy when he speaks with her. But yeah, yeah. so. Um, a quote to support this is, I saw a grin on his face, that glint in his eyes, and I knew that Ob had suddenly found himself a reason to get out of bed on time in the mornings, at least for a little while longer, end quote. Which supports my idea of that, while he wasn't necessarily ecstatic, he was really happy that there was a possibility that he could speak with his dead wife. Yeah. So basically, he's really driven, like that's his motivation to try to talk to his wife one last time, because when... She died. He didn't know she was going to die. So his last words weren't like, goodbye, I love you. Yeah, there was really he no warning. Yeah. Um, the book says she died when she was gardening. Yeah. So and he's just like grief stricken because he doesn't know what to do because he didn't get to tell her the things he wanted to tell her. Yeah. And again, something, it says that he found a reason to get out of bed in the mornings, which means he was not like getting up. He had no reason to live. And this yeah. thing suddenly sparked something in him and motivated him to just try harder and speak with his dead wife yeah good examples Dami. thank you 
Hey, so we just finished reading... What's it called? <laughs> we just finished reading Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. I get confused because it's not really about him. It's more about Brutus and Cassius and what they're driven to do. Yeah, true. So basically, Brutus is really obsessed with honor and how honorable people are. And, and nobility. He, and nobility because he's really honorable and he just assumes everyone else is honorable. So... Julius Caesar is like the what do you Julius call it? Caesar. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him exactly a king, but I the ruler. Yeah, let's just Rome. call him the ruler because he didn't really have an official title. Yeah, so basically he's all in charge, and Cassius. Cassius is very power hungry. He thinks Caesar is just as good as he is, and Caesar shouldn't be in charge because in Cassius's mind. Why should Caesar get to stomp around like a giant while everyone else has to scramble through what's left of him? Oh, so he's driven for power. Yeah, he's very power. He's very power hungry. But Brutus, on the other hand, he's not power hungry. He just wants to make sure the people of Rome are happy and they're getting the best that they could. And Cassius tells Brutus that caesar is not honorable and he's gonna do bad things and since brutus thinks everyone is as honorable and always tells the truth he believes cassius yes and another example of cassius just manipulative and deceiving and power hungry behavior is when he he writes three letters to brutus and he addresses them as citizens of rome and he's and the letters state Oh, Brutus, we're so worried that Rome is going to go downhill because we fear Caesar is a power-hungry tyrant when really Cassius is power-hungry. He's not a tyrant because he's not that powerful yet. Yeah, so Brutus is driven to do what's best for Rome, and at that point he is persuaded to think that it's killing Caesar when really it's probably not because that started something way more. Yeah, that started something very... A lot worse, like the second triumvirate. And Brutus also, he, I don't know how to explain this. He was just very trusting and. Yeah, he was, what's it called? Like, naive. He's naive na- and yeah. convincible. Is that a word? No. No? Oh. He's just. Easily convinced of things. Yes. And because he thinks everyone's so honorable and that they never lie. Yeah. So basically, all this stuff starts a gigantic disaster. Yeah, and they, like the second triumvirate. Yeah. Brutus and Cassius were planning on killing one person and then getting Rome on their side. The second triumvirate killed, I don't even know how many, it doesn't specify, but I'm going to say at least 20 people just for power because they didn't want any political enemies. I feel like Antony, which was Caesar's like best person, best friend, best friend, he's also really power hungry, and no one expected it from him. Yeah. He's driven for power, and instead of like going along with it, he goes against um, Brutus and Cassius. Yeah, another example of how Brutus is really trusting, which is this is really big, yeah. is how he lets Antony, Caesar's best friend, speak at Caesar's funeral, where. Brutus and Cassius and other conspirators murdered Caesar. That's not a very logical thing to do. No, it really isn't. Yeah, but Antony was like, you know, no, I'm sorry, not Antony, but Brutus was like, it's fine. They wouldn't, they're honorable, honorable. They would not lie to me. Everyone is so honorable and truthful and honest. Also, Antony is so power hungry, he kills his, was it his brother? Um, or he, his cousin? I believe he killed his brother's wife. 
Yeah, like, he was just like, oh, yep, kill him. Or her. But, like, that's not that's normal. Bad. Yeah. That's how, like, power can take I, over you. I think Shakespeare does this to show that by killing Caesar for something that he could have done, <laughs> by killing Caesar, by Brutus killing Caesar by something that he could have done, started something much worse, and that you should never really judge people by something that they might do, because there's always a possibility that they won't. And yeah. Cassius, he's just he's just power hungry. So yeah, <laughs> I feel like Antony and Cassius are power hungry, and they're driven for power. And um, what's his name? Brutus, on the other hand, is driven for Honor. honorable and like yeah, and, and the truth. But and it's he's not always right. Honorable intentions, but yeah. because you feel like something is right, doesn't mean it is right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Bookiana, the first non-boring podcast. We really appreciate you listening and... The love and support. Yeah, we've gotten a bunch of support to write this, um, to make this episode, and it's just really empowering, and it's driving us, like the characters in the books, to do more. Connections. (laughs) Make sure to buy our merch. It's limited edition. There's only one. So Get your hands on that soon. How much is it, Zami? $20. $20. Buy it quickly. We'll put the link in our description box below. Yeah, um, add us on Snapchat. At Selden EB. At Dami Lols with two eyes. Will we get points taken off for this? Maybe. (laughs) Love you, Moo. Bye. Thanks for listening. Thank you.